Well, good morning. We should have time change every week, I think, uh, is what's going on today. You're all lively. Everybody's here. You know what's going on. Hey, I do hope you enjoyed our two weeks of fall. It was amazing. You know, it just, I, I took it all in, you know, as we enjoyed a winter. Uh, so thanks for being here today. I want to remind you, you know, as always, I want to encourage you to vote. You know, vote's coming up. It's always encouraging and important, you know, for people to engage in our political process. Now, speaking of voting, we're starting a series called Mind Your Own Business. Uh, So I thought, perfect, perfect segue as it pertains. Now, that phrase uh, has been used in different ways with different generations uh, over the years. Uh, And you may have heard people say, mind your own business. Uh, When I grew up, it was... uh, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Anybody else? You know, uh, no, I'm only one. Uh, maybe you're, you know, a little older, and it was more, uh, you know, mind your own beeswax. Anybody heard that phrase, mind your own beeswax? You know, today, uh, my kids and others, there's a new phrase that's much more popular. It's stay in your lane, right? Stay in your lane, uh, and all of these phrases have the same meaning, which is this is my area, my territory, mine. You stay with yours, I'll stay with mine. I'm not interested in what you have to say or do in my life. So I wonder what areas of your life have you said or thought the phrase, you know, mind your own business uh, when it comes to something in your life, maybe something even that happened this week. While you're processing that, here's what I have found. It usually happens in the form of unsolicited advice from people. And uh, you see this, you know, the glazed over look, you know, from one mom to another as they just begin to tell them how they should parent their child. Not that they asked or inquired, but people were just freely giving advice, you know, and you're just like, you know what, just mind your own business, you know, and I'll just take care of mine. Or maybe it's in work environments, you know, where you're working on a project and unsolicited, somebody comes in, not a boss, but somebody else, hey, you're not doing it right. You should probably do it this way. Have you thought about doing this? And you're like, I didn't ask you. Mind your own business. You work on your area. I'll work on mine. Now, if you're a Christian, uh, we see this happen often, oftentimes in what's called our small groups or life groups. In the life groups, it's usually a time of prayer requests. So people then share their, their needs. And somebody might say, you know what? Can you just pray for me and uh, my wife? We're just going through a couple things here and there. And then somebody else jumps in and just feels like, well, you know what? We went through something similar. So let me tell you the 16 things that we did that can help your marriage that I want to do to fix you. And you're like, I just asked for prayer. I didn't ask for this. Why don't you just stay in your lane? Why don't you mind your own business? And let me just kind of stay in mine. So let me press in just a little bit further because it's not just with one another. What areas or where have you asked God to stay out of your business? Where have you asked God to stay out of your business. You know, God, um, you, know, uh, you know, bless me and, you know, lead me and keep me safe through those things, but, but stay out of my work business, stay out of my relationship, stay out of some other aspect of my life. Now, the area that many Christians uh, may say one thing, but demonstrate far more, stay out of my business, God, is finances. So the question becomes, Do I believe that if God is in my financial business, the things will actually go better? So I want you to step back for just a second. Do you believe that if God is in your marriage, that your marriage will go better according to God's ways and principles? 
Do you believe that if God is leading your parenting and guiding the principles of parenting, that that will go better? Do you believe that if God is in your work or you're submitting yourself to his dreams, that those things will go better if we live according to the creator and how he designed and created us to be and to work? Because in all of these areas, if we say yes, why is it that we have a hard time saying yes when it comes to resources? Now, this is where some of you are cringing right now because you're like, I haven't been in church in weeks and I knew it. We're talking about money. Why is it the one week? Or you're like, I came to trunk or treat and now I get reinvited back and you're going to talk about money? You know, are you kidding me, Dan? Of all weeks, I was praying that God was going to use you and this was going to be the next week on plot twist. Okay, plot twist, we're talking about money. You know, so... There you go, you know, so, we, but I get this. Let, let, me, let me actually, though, say that this really is so important and it is the perfect week to be here. Here's why. What is one of the top reasons that people have stress and anxiety? Money. Uh, what is one of the top reasons for conflicts in marriage that lead to even divorce? Money. What is one of the biggest challenges if you own or work in business managing Money. What is one of the biggest obstacles to truly follow Jesus? It is the view and the placement of money in our hearts and our lives. So if we can invite God into our money, think about this, could it actually help our stress, our marriage, our businesses? That's why this is so important. Because it's not about money. We're actually addressing one of the greatest needs that you have in other areas of your life by talking about money. And, and the reason that's important is because Jesus also talked as much about money and resources as almost any other subject in the Bible. And yet we kind of shy away from this, but I'm actually excited to be able to share this because I think it's going to help your relationships. It's going to help your finances. It's going to help your work environment if we can understand what does God actually have to say about money. Because it's not a financial message. It's a faith, discipleship, and relationship message. So let me start with this. Mind your business is actually an ownership statement, right? The only reason you say mind your business is because somebody is involved in something that you believe is something over your purview or your authority or that is actually yours. And so with that, I want you to answer this question. If there's one thing that you get from today and you miss everything else, here's the one thing that if you can answer this question, I promise if you didn't get enough sleep last night, take another snooze, okay? This is it. If you can answer this, it will set the stage and it'll have you thinking for the rest of today and the rest of this week. Ready? Here's the question. Who owns your resources? That's it. If you can honestly process through the answer to that question and what that means in our lives and in your life, then you will see some things begin to take place that may be different than the way things currently are operating. So let me start making a case. Um, if I came to you, because we have this ownership idea, if I came to you and I said, hey, um, can I borrow your RV to go camping? Can I, can I ride it? I'm sure, because you guys are so generous, you would say, well, yes, Pastor Dan, you can borrow my RV. And so I would take the RV and, and then all of a sudden you remember some things and you're like, oh, and you call me and you say, hey, Dan, I know you have my RV, but there's a couple things I forgot to tell you uh, about uh, uh, some things that will help you enjoy it more, but also how I would really like it to be returned. 
What if my response to you was, mind your own business? You'd be like, it is my business. It's my RV. You see, God is the owner of all things. He owns everything. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. 1 Corinthians 10.26, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him. 1 Corinthians 29, 11, and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and given strength. Now, I get it. The temptation, you know, maybe, maybe a thought process going through. But wait a minute. Dan, I came from nothing. I have earned where I am today, and you'd be right that you have earned. But don't forget, as we talked about last week, that you may say to yourself in Deuteronomy, my power and my strength, if my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth in the first place. He created you, and he created you with those gifts. Because the moment we take ownership of things is actually the moment we begin to lose God's blessing and God's leadership and oversight in the things that we think we own, which we're going to talk more in just a second. So here's three questions with that kind of the base of this week and for next week. Here's three questions I want us to kind of go on a journey with and for you and I to answer. Question number one, which we've already begun to discuss, who owns it? You got to answer that. Me or God? Now, this is the part that really hit me in my own journey with Christ this week. When we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision now becomes a spiritual decision. That hit me. Hit me. I don't know why it was something new or something the way it was phrased. We don't ask now, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? You start praying, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money that you've given to me to steward on your behalf? It's a completely different way to view resources that was just something that just hit me and Caroline and I were talking about this, you know, yesterday for quite a while. It's most important because if you own it, we won't listen to God on it. But if he owns it, then we are his steward and we're stewarding what he has given, which means that we are going to take care of it the way the owner wants it taken care of. So it changes everything. So who owns it? You or God. Second question. Who am I putting first when it comes to these resources? Me or God? Now, God, in all things, he demands first place because he gave us everything. He says, all right, put me first in those things, whether it be in parenting or relationships or work or whatever it may be, but also in resources. And as I mentioned, Jesus talks more about money than any other, almost any other subject. And I don't know if you realize that to God, it's not about money, but he created us and he knows that resources are going to be one of the top things that competes for our hearts. And so he's like, that's what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with a heart issue that's exemplified through resources. And so he says in Matthew, Jesus says, Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. It's fascinating that Jesus could have put anything there. Hey, wherever your relationships are, that's where your heart will also be, which isn't untrue, but he decided to elevate that as the most important thing. So if God wants our hearts and he knows also where we put our treasures, our heart will follow, then what does that mean? And every time we've talked about this, I try to use this because it's something you remember. 
All right? And it's not thanks, it's not Thanksgiving. No, it's not Thanksgiving. It's uh, not Valentine's Day, okay? But here's what it looks like. Here's your heart, and here's your treasure, and here's what you know. What you care about, you will spend resources on. True? Okay? <laughs> we always seem to have money for the things that we care about. We'll even be willing to go into debt for the things that we care about. Where our heart is, our treasures, or even our borrowed treasures, are actually from. But that's not what the Bible verse says. The Bible verse says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning that in addition to, yes, this being true, when you start to give to something that you have never given to before, what God says is your heart follows. So it's fascinating. You've seen this in your own life. I don't care about something. And then you start giving to that something you don't care about. And then all of a sudden you start caring about something you didn't care about before. Like, that's weird, but that's how God did it. So when we put him first, you know, in our lives, in our hearts, we get to see this actually taking place, that our heart begins to change for the things of God. Now, to help us with this, God, through all of scripture, gives us a principle about what it means to put him first, but that principle has somewhat become a dirty word in church. And the word is tithe. None of you guys clapped. None of you guys got excited about that. All right. Tithe means, it literally means tenth. And there's some confusion on that because some people say, well, I tithe $5, I tithe $100, I tithe $50. No, 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 no. That's not a tithe. That's called a tip. And God is not our server. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not bad to do it, but that's not what a tithe is. And so some people view uh, that a tithe is like a tax, like it's an IRS thing. You know, so we're like, well, the government takes this and, and now God's going to take this, right? And we view it as a tax. It's kind of like a, what I do with my kids every year. Maybe you do this as well. Halloween just happened. And so we get to the end of the Halloween night and the kids present their bags before father. And father must take a dad tax. That's right. I just take that. And they're always complaining because I always take something they like, you know, just for fun. And so I take some of that stuff and they're like, hey, that's not fair. I'm like, welcome to government. So just trying to teach them ahead of time, you know, what it's going to be like as they get paychecks and stuff like that. Um, but that's not what God is saying there. That's not, it's not a tax. It's an opportunity for us to choose to put him first. Now, I am not a finance person, but I have checked my numbers. And I want to walk through this so you can see that I can actually do this and so can you. So here's what a tithe is. A tithe on $10 is $1. Tithe on $100 is $10. Tithe on $1,000 is $100. How am I doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, see? All right, let's keep going. Tithe on $10,000 is $1,000. $100,000 is $10,000. A million is a hundred thousand, ten million is one million, and a hundred million is ten million dollars. The reason I mention that is because obviously the numbers work itself out, but you should see your faces and I know some of your hearts. And that is, you're okay with the first four or five things I mentioned, but it gets a little more challenging when it gets a little bigger, doesn't it? Ah, what's one dollar? There's ten bucks. Oh, here's a hundred bucks. Ooh, a thousand? Hmm, I could do something with that. 10,000, man, there's a car I want to put a down payment on. You know, a hundred thousand, heck no. Do you know what you can do with a hundred thousand dollars? Which is why when they actually do the studies, it's actually harder for people who have more to give the tithe than those who have less. 
which is a reminder and a principle as it pertains to the tithe. In Leviticus 27.30 says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, must be set apart to him as holy. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. Notice it says, for I never noticed this until this week, it says bring, not give. Because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. You are bringing to God what already belongs to him, which is why that word is to bring. Now, storehouse is the temple. God says, and we see this principle in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that he wants us to give to his church that he created. And it's not just for physical nourishment, which is also helpful, but it's also for the spiritual nourishment that we receive. But Dan, I give to other causes and places. Great and we should. And we're going to talk even more about that next week when we talk about generosity, but not to the neglect of the church. And I know why, because we like to be in control of our resources, because I want to determine where some of these things go. And it's great to give to those things, like I said, which we'll talk about next week. Now, who says mine more than anybody else? Kids, two-year-olds, right? Have we grown up at all when it comes to our relationship with God? Oh yeah, also those seagulls from Nemo. They, they say that a lot, you know, as well. Guys, when we become solely consumers, it will actually destroy us from the inside out. And God knows this. Some of you have more money than you've ever had in your entire life. And you are not any more happy, content, peaceful, oriented, you actually find yourself just as miserable, if not more than before. Why is that? Now, speaking of ownership, if you want to keep something that doesn't belong to you and it belongs to somebody else, what do we call that? Stealing, theft. Malachi 3, 8, and 9, God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing God. Now what's happening is the nation of Israel has entered into a place of prominence, and what they've done is taken care of solely their own households, their own families, their own barns, their own future, and they've neglected to give to God. And God says, this is not good. And so a curse is coming upon you. Now curse has nothing to do with hell. It has nothing to do with salvation. This is not a salvation conversation. What a curse means is that in Hebrew, it means misery. God says he's going to withhold the blessing that he actually had in store. And instead, you're going to experience misery because he cares about you so much. He wants you to make sure you understand this. And as parents, we know sometimes we need to discipline our kids in order to, for them to do what's right and best. Now, this is usually the time in a message like this because many of you are very astute, and you've been listening very carefully. And you're saying to yourself, but Dan, I'm a New Testament Christian. In context, God is talking to the nation of Israel. He's not talking to me. I'm under a new free covenant. Jesus doesn't talk about tithing, and so I am under no obligation to be able to tithe on a regular basis. Okay. Those of you who are Christians, just pretend. If it wasn't Dan, if Jesus were here today, and he told you to tithe, would you? If Jesus himself was here today. Because two times in the New Testament, Jesus affirms the tithe to religious people. 
The first time in Matthew 23, 23, and the other here is in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. What sorrow awaits you, these religious leaders, you Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe, even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The more important things, obviously, are loving God and loving other people. That is more important than tithing. But he doesn't say, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. That's not important anymore. He actually reaffirms it to all the people that are listening. Now, you might also be saying, Dan, I know my scriptures as well. And it says that you should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. And I'm feeling reluctance or under compulsion, Dan, and I'm not giving. And you're partly right. When it comes to that scripture, let me tell you the context. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. You're like, ha, got him. For God loves a person who, cheer, who gives cheerfully. But do you know the context in which Paul is writing? Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's coming there and he has asked for an additional offering to be taken so he can take it to those who are in need at the church in Jerusalem. He is not saying, let's replace the giving or the, whatever you may be doing relative to compulsion. He goes, he's actually saying this is above and beyond. And we do the same thing here. Like when we do pave the way to pay for the expansion of the kids and the outreach and some of those things, this is an above and beyond gift. Or in just a couple of weeks, we're gonna take joy to the world, a Christmas Eve offering where 100% goes outside these walls. That's when I should tell you, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. It's always in the basis of above and beyond gifts, not our regular contribution to God. Now, this is what it does. In our relationship with God and one another, it enhances things. It helps things. Remember, God wants our hearts and he wants to help our relationships as well. In fact, I was so excited to be able to share with you this testimony video of a younger couple in our church who has seen this play out recently in their lives. Go ahead and check out the screens with me now. I was a travel nurse. Um, I started during the pandemic. So we were kind of all over. Um, that's when we were paying off our debt. So it's um, it was pretty lucrative. Total, we had like $80,000 worth of debt combined mm -hmm. for everything that we had. And we paid it off in under a year. We were very pregnant um, with Molly. <laughs> and uh, she was coming to the end of her contract. And, you know, she makes more than I did as, as a nurse. Um, I was working construction and not making a lot of money at all. I was making like $17 an hour. We had a couple paychecks left coming in, but they were pretty significant. And so we were faced with the decision of, do we save all this money or do we still continue tithing when we know I'm gonna be done working? We were at dinner with our life group leaders and our friends, um, Jeremy and Kim, and we asked them, kind of what we should do in that situation. Do we still tithe or do we save that money to get ready for this baby coming? And he's like, well, you know, as as a pastor, he's like, I'm obviously gonna tell you that you should tithe. But as your friend, you know, he's like, that's a really tough decision. I think that you should pray about it. It was kind of one of those things where we asked, but we knew the answer. We knew the right answer. So we prayed about it and we ended up still giving tithing like the full amount. Yeah, it would have been a month of rent, two months of rent. There's all these things that you want to save for. It was scary knowing, not knowing like, when am I going to go back to work after the baby or um, 
is his job gonna be okay? So yeah, we were just totally in this unknown. I think God um, heard our prayers and knew our worries about it. Wood got a new job um, from a friend in our life group where he had benefits, way higher pay, commission. So he was able to switch into that provider role and take care of us. I'm, I'm 26, you know, like, and I, I never thought I'd be in a position where I would have money or be able to give or anything like that. So I think it's so cool that we get to share our story. And, you know, I really hope that the people that are, like people of our generation are like ready to, you know, take the call mm -hmm. because man, like starting early and getting on track, like that was the best thing that we did for our marriage is We've seen so many people struggle so hard with finances. If you wait, 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 like your blessings will come, you know, but they're just later in life where you don't get to see the awesome fruit of the labor of like being able to give back to God and seeing what he's gonna do with it. You're gonna be able to make a difference no matter where you are financially. Um, God just wants your heart in every decision. Isn't that cool to hear, hear that from younger couple? I just love that they're getting it in their 20s. They're understanding what this means and what this looks like. Hope you heard about what difference this makes in their marriage again, like we talked about. Now, I also heard that I need to have a conversation with Jeremy about what the difference is between giving pastoral advice versus Christian advice, but that's a whole different conversation that we'll have later, as I just heard that now. All right, so which leads us to question number three, you know, who will I trust? So we've talked about who owns it all, you know, who's gonna be first, but then this one's different. Who will I trust, me or God? Because giving isn't a financial decision, it's a faith decision. It really is answering this question, do I trust that God can do more with my 90% than, than do more with 90% than I can do with 100%? Do I trust that, that he can actually be able to do that and, and, and see where he actually you know, fulfills in the, some of the gaps that are there? And you talk to people who've done this over and over and over, including I'll be a testimony as well in my own life, and you see this happen time and time and time again. It's a trust issue. It truly is a trust issue. Malachi 3, 10 and 11 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord's of heaven's army. Now, here's what I know, is that if you take this, whoa, that almost became a very dangerous situation. Uh, if you take this seriously, you'll go home, you'll look at your budget, you'll actually put in there a tithe or a giving you know, opportunity, and you'll get to the end, you're like, doesn't add up. I can't afford to give. And I get that. And this is the whole point. This is where we put ourselves in trust of God more than trusting our resources. And so the challenge would be try it. It's the only time in all of the Bible that God gives us permission to test him in something. And it happens to be finances. Could he know something about finances and how it affects our marriage and how it affects our business and how it affects our future? And so can you try it for three months? See what happens. See what God does when we say, okay, your word says this. I'm going to trust you, and I don't know how it's, going to figure, how it's going to work itself out, but I'm going to see. That's an adventurous, trusting journey, and that's where we should be, we should be put. Now, I understand that some of you guys are like, I don't want to be legalistic about the 10%, and that's fine. Work towards that. Put yourself in any position where you're saying, I have to trust God. That's the whole point. God wants us to trust him. 
That's 2%, 3%, 10%. You know, the 10% is the regular norm, and that's what you can work up to if you've never done that before, but that's where you want to be when it comes to connecting and trusting in God. Now, let me uh, be clear also. We automate what's important, and men, we tend to struggle with this. By and large, all the stats say more than women. So step up and lead your family like you lead your work and your businesses, and give a model and example. And let me be super, super clear. If you think for a second that the reason that Dan is talking about this is so that Valley Real Life can get your money, you are 100% mistaken. Do things happen through giving and resources? Absolutely. But if you think about this, let me take the pressure off. Find a church, keep attending here, we want to be around here, but find a church that you do trust, that you do want to give resources to, and give there. Because I don't want this to be a part of a reason why you think that there's some sort of emotional manipulation or that kind of stuff. We're just trying to say, this is what God wants for you. Even though I know it sounds like this is what he wants from you, but it's because of how much he loves you. That's why we're talking about this. And money is just one auxiliary example of this. So as we close, you know it's not as, as uh, uh, available as it used to be, but we do have a routine reminder, a regular reminder of the ability or the opportunity to trust in God. You know where it is? On our currency. In America, we still have printed, I know we don't use cash anymore, but the one time, this would have been a great example 10 years ago, but the one time that you use cash, it actually says, in God we trust. In God we trust. The question is, do you? Do we actually trust God with the very currency that is printed on our money? So as I told you at the beginning, if we get this right, the reason I'm excited about talking about this on the week after Trunk or Treat is because I care about, you, care about you, I care about your marriages, I care about your business, I care about your stress and anxiety. And if we can trust God, this is week one, and next week we'll talk more about debt and generosity and saving and investing and some of the things that he says along those lines as well. But if we can get this right, watch what God does in those areas of our lives. Now the question becomes, Will you? It's up to you. How will you, how is God leading you when it comes to inviting him into your financial business? For some of you, it means just accepting him. For some of you, it just means, you know what? I need to choose just to follow Jesus. That's way more important than resources. But for those of you who've been followers of Christ for a while, this is the tension point, the challenge point, and it's becoming more and more of an American Christian challenge point than even in other parts of the world that we can be challenged by. And I hope you know how much I love you for us to be able to talk about this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to talk through this. And I do pray that it would be something we'd be challenged by and encouraged by because of how much you care about us. So Father, allow us to have an appropriate view of what this looks like as we continue to rely on you, trust you, put you first, and recognize that you own it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.